like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Welcome back to the Ensons Podcast. Sam and Blaine here in the studio today. And we are going to talk about learning again. Maybe you saw that in the title. Maybe you saw this in a recent episode and are wondering, why are they revisiting this so quickly? And the reason is, as with so many of our episodes, we had a conversation with some guys. And the thing that they wanted to know was, yeah, but how do you actually know these things? And it was actually a friend who asked for a gene recommend. And then after I had rattled for a little bit on some of his options, he asked, wait, how do you know anything about genes? Which is actually, I don't know very much about genes, but it's a very interesting question because it opens into this whole arena, which is, what is the process uh, and what's sort of a practical revisitation of learning? What's the process of learning a topic. How did you learn X, Y, and Z? And really, how do things make an impact and actually affect the way that you live? So this is kind of beyond the, how do you become a good reader or how do you become someone who can have an intellectual conversation or whip out the right Bible verse at the right time? I don't check any of those boxes personally. So how do we learn the things that are going to change the way we live our lives? And Often we don't realize how much we have learned until we look back down the rabbit hole we found ourselves in. And we're kind of trying to retrace our steps for some of those categories today. Health, exercise, and among other things. So take us away, Sam. How would you frame the conversation on learning? And as with so many other topics, it's important to, I guess, parse out what we're talking about and parse out qualitatively distinct versions of learning because too often I associate learning with uh, sort of knowing, I guess having access to the information without needing technology, meaning having memorized a bunch of facts. Right. Isn't that what it sort of implies when you say learning? I think of like there must be some book and there's going to be a test at the end. Like that's just been the formula over and over and over again. Um, we quoted Neil Postman in the motorcycle film we did because we were wrestling with this contrast of the world with science and facts and story. And in the essay that Neil Postman wrote titled Science and the Story We Need, he quoted this poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay. It reads like this. Upon this gifted age in its dark hour rains from the sky a meteoric shower of facts. They lie unquestioned, uncombined, Wisdom enough to leech us of our ill is daily spun, but there exists no loom to weave it into fabric. What I love about this poem is it really beautifully and somehow also a little esoterically describes my experience of Facebook, my experience of learning. It is this fire hose of 
facts and causes and did you know that if you've been eating this type of food, you've been killing yourself and if you haven't been eating this type of food, you could have been having all these anti-cancer, you just feel like this, this deluge that has no connection and no implication and mostly no story, which is something that I really loved about one of the specific categories for us, food. I read Eating Animals a long time ago and the very beginning of that book, Jonathan Safran for says, like, there are a lot of books out there that can tell you facts. There are a lot of movies out there that will tell you facts. This is a story because I think stories actually have greater implications for our lives than just a bunch of facts do. Boom. That could almost be, here, guys, it's a four-minute episode, and it goes, well, all of learning comes down to stories, the stories you're that we are living welcome. out, and identifying the stories that have uh, shaped the world. I was having a beer with a friend recently and a great guy actually, like, you know, someone I love and respect. And, but in the course of it, you know, he mentions as bringing up a topic, hey, I read this essay recently about Nietzsche's view of suffering. And I just wanted to be like, stop, stop. You don't know anything about Nietzsche or suffering or this is the example of the world we live in where you get a HuffPost article on uh, memory, and then that kind of becomes the way that you understand memory and are thinking about current memory science and neuroplasticity, blah, 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 blah. And it goes, you have cut off the story and you've been given a sound bite. And it's no wonder we have, you know, so few people, myself included, uh, have mastered, you know, an understanding of moral reasoning if we're talking about Nietzsche. What was the story that C.S. Lewis tells when he first goes to be with his mentor? Oh, I love that one. Because where... that's what every person is. So it's Lewis, it's in Surprised by Joy, and he's talking about going to his first tutor to continue his education. And he gets off the train and the tutor meets him. And Lewis, as they're walking home, goes, ah, it's not... It's not as uh, forested as I thought it would be. And the tutor turns to him and goes, And what were your thoughts based on? Books? Photographs? And Lewis says, I thought he was just going to stop me with a reprimand, but he just launched into this lecture there and then on, Your thoughts have to be based on something. It contrasts so nicely with a recent blog post by our boy Seth Godin, who he just has this wonderful observation, which is, I didn't do the reading is a brave and generous thing to say. Winging it is a fine way to start a conversation and get back to first principles. If you're clear about your background and your focus, you can add a lot of value without doing the reading. But if you're not going to do it, at least let us know so we can process your input in a useful way instead of assuming you're doing the analysis wrong. He includes in that blog post, you can say, I didn't do the reading, but my bias is, and it's just this, in like the food conversation, I love it because where it goes is, if you don't know as much as the person you're talking to, that does not disqualify you at all, but it will help you to frame your contribution to the conversation. So many people who I've talked to about food and hunting who, you know, haven't read a dozen or so books on the topic and spent a decade contemplating it. And lived out the consequences. Right can come out so strong and it turns into this hostile exchange versus going, I haven't read those books, but when I grew up, food always meant this. And it goes, oh, we're having a conversation about 
history and your family's formation of value. And this is not a conversation about whether or not we can escape Rene Girard's sacrificial system. So let's have the conversation that you're coming to the table with. And that's just so helpful for me as someone who's constantly engaging conversations where I'm not an expert. I always have to have conversations with people that know more than me. Right, because if there's some like threshold that you have to reach before you are able to have a conversation, that's not very helpful. Like we've we throw on quotes about like the luxury of opinion without the pain of thought and all of that. And it's like this that's kind of thrown in the face of the culture that likes to do these little Pinterest cards that just get passed around. And it's like, oh, how do you feel about this issue? Well, I saw this once and so I saved it. And so here's what I think about that. And oh, I've written down this uh, the perfect recipe for quick chocolate chip cookies. So boom. And we don't want to put like this lid on you don't get to engage these topics if you are not somehow a sage because we recognize that we're not sages like we're we're seeking those people out as well but there does seem to be a difference between when something has an implication for your life and you are living it out and how you are learning that in that context versus just the well I kind of heard this one soundbite once and so now I'm just going to throw that around everybody when that comes up like no 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 that's, that's not the same thing as actually understanding and learning the topic. Right. The story. So jumping in maybe to some examples, rhetorical question here, which isn't a really rhetorical question because all questions are rhetorical. A hypothetical question. Can you learn apart from doing? No. Uh, next thing is in the book that we'll recommend all over the place, Matthew Crawford's Shop Classes Soulcraft. If you've already read that one, you should move on to his second book, The World Beyond Your Head, also excellent. You uh, know, if you've read Shop Class as Soulcraft, that the sciences originated in the trades. And the reason that that's meaningful is that the sciences are meant to correspond to practical problems that people with a skill are trying to solve, like understanding the tensile holding strengths of different steels originated as a way for craftsmen who understood the look and feel and abilities of various metals to make armor and then bridges and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That there is this level of need, like a couple summers ago, we needed a bookshelf and I wanted to learn how to do it. And so in the course of exploring, you know, building types of joints, how to use all kinds of cool woodworking tools I was borrowing from a friend. All of these previously abstract principles, like why three, four, five triangles work the way they do, and just the wonder of certain things in geometry, like using Sakatoa to find the measure of an angle, or to find, maybe it's not the measure of an angle, you mathematicians can correct me. Uh, became practical by doing this thing. There's just this fundamental piece uh, when we're talking about learning and how we came to know things that goes, well, it's linked to the story. It's always about the story. And it's always linked to the act of gaining a skill through doing a thing. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece of like, uh, you can become very cerebral, knowledgeable about a topic, but unless it's something that you have to engage regularly like a professor of some kind it's gonna get left it's gonna get put on the shelf it's gonna 
just start atrophying. I think that's part of why we experience a lot of empathy fatigue because you go on your your Facebook feed or you go to whatever, a coffee shop, and there's just this cause, that cause, this rally, that rally. We're going to be doing this donation thing. And honestly, you do have to kind of begin insulating yourself. Otherwise, you just have this unstoppable stream that you actually can't engage all of them because they might be too far away, because you might have the capacity, because we are not meant to engage every single thing everywhere in the world. Like you're, you have a finite reach. Um, we actually did a podcast on how you can affect change and all the, the, the spheres of that. That was super helpful. But there's that piece of like when you have to actually engage it. So let's do a lighter example. We love road biking and that's blood over in a triathlon. Um, and how would you say you learned about that whole sport? Like even how to fix your bike to how to train well, like the whole spectrum. That's good. I was actually just about to ask you the same question. So sucker. (laughs) It starts in California when I was, you know, in college there, not really loving my initial college experience. And there was a guy down the hall who had a road bike and I asked one time, Hey, I've never ridden a road bike. Would you, could I, you might, could I go for a ride on your bike? And he goes, Oh yeah. What size are your feet? And I go 10 and he goes, Oh man, my cleats won't fit you, but no, hang on. Don't you have a unicycle? I was like, yeah, I have a unicycle. So he takes his pedal wrench, took the pedals off his bike, took the pedals off my unicycle, threw my pedals on his bike so that I could take his nice road bike for a ride, which you already have this incredible expression of kindness and then the extension and generosity of this object, this bike. And then I end up going for this ride that I come back from and just tell them that is one of the top three most fun things I have ever done. And he goes, well, I don't know if it's that fun. Grabbing him by the shoulders going, no, that was so fun. I'm like taking this bike through the winding roads above Montecito experiencing the stiffness of the frame and how fast it is compared to a mountain bike. And then suddenly in my plane of reference for joy are road bikes. And I go, how do I get one of these? How do I like, and so, you know, I become the owner of my first road bike and start to love just doing it. And by owner, I mean, I jacked from a buddy, a single speed road bike. I was trying to remember if this was the one without brakes, but no, this one had brakes um, but it was a build he had done and just started riding it all over the place because it was so freaking fun. And then in the course of doing this, I sort of run into the first problem, which is I'd love to build one of these. What are the pieces of a bike? And through the act of another friend had a Cannondale R900 frame that I thought was so cool when I found one, so I found one on Craigslist, but here I am with this bike frame and now I'm looking around going components and literally how do you put these things together? And fortunately I had a friend who was a bike wizard and just asked him, can we throw this on your rack and can we put all the pieces on? And as we do it, like kind of explain to me the principles here. And as he just starts talking about bikes are fascinating because it's, only two triangles put together when it comes to the frame, but where you position the seat relative to the intersection of those two triangles will determine 
how the bike performs on hills versus flat versus blah, 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 blah. And in the course of this conversation, some of the passion around just riding a road bike is starting to come out. Some of what these components do. And so through the course of starting to go on regular rides, you know, it's it's question driven for me. And the next question is, how do you go faster? How do you go further? And for I like podcasts, so it becomes are there podcasts that will tell you to do those things? Are there YouTube channels that will tell you? And we're huge fans of the Global Cycling Network, that YouTube channel. And that has a trove of information where they'll go do the test for you and they'll go cheap bike versus super bike. What's the real difference in six minutes? And sprint training versus endurance training. What's the difference and how should you do those two things? So I think we spent years, literally, maybe you and I riding together only a couple years of going on rides and just liking riding bikes before we really hit kind of the threshold of, okay, how can we make these weigh as little as possible? And how can we go as fast as possible? Which pushed us into the world of listening to podcasts with people that do interval training and then finding that person's book and doing the the research parkour that I wrote about in an article that involves hearing a Tim Ferriss podcast with Ryan Flaherty on uh, how to run faster via weight training. And so going, man, gosh, do any of these guys have books on weight training? Okay, well, here's another podcast and it's on interval training. And there's a book called The One Minute Workout and get that book. And who does he cite? And I wasn't trying to pass a test at any point on how do you train efficiently. No one was going to come into the office and slide me a piece of paper. It was all... There's an incredible amount of joy here, and eventually joy pushes you in the direction of mastery. So it became, with each consecutive step, how do I lift more? Well, in order to lift more, to have a bigger deadlift, to have more mass-specific force, to be able to move faster, both running and biking, because it changes the gearing you can handle, I had to know a little more about exercise nutrition and had to know a little more about how can I get the, the biggest... Uh, adaptation response to the smallest output with a 30-minute w- window drain. <laughs> okay, okay, hang on. Let me jump in here. I think what you are naming is a telltale sign of when you are doing something that is a good fit for you. Because a lot of what you just named for somebody else might be like, oh my gosh, like I don't care about all of those details. Like That's also you down the rabbit hole a significant way, several years. And at first, I remember the questions that I had to come up with were, why is my back hurting as I'm riding this bike? What's what's wrong? How do I fix this flat tire I just experienced? My gears keep shifting too much. And yeah, YouTube was a tremendous help for that. But there's this thing that you're describing as you talk about how you learned about cycling that is this domino effect. Like when you're in a sweet spot of something that you want to be learning about, you've been saying joy. And I think that there's this natural flow when you're in something that you are enjoying learning about and going down those rabbit holes and they might not be overnight and it certainly wasn't for us in that particular field. It's been the case for Susie and I for a lot of things in our house. We had some friends down, gosh, like two years ago for Christmas and they were just looking around going, you should start like a daddy blog. And I laughed at him like, no way. Like, well, but you've done all this research and you've had to live out some of these implications. And it is like this domino effect where if it's something that you are genuinely passionate about, 
you are going to change your life because of what you've learned or what you've encountered. It's our quote that we throw around of reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. And reality is part of that learning. It's the, well, if I don't want my back to hurt while I'm cycling, I need to learn about the correct seat height. I need to learn about how far away my handlebars should be. I got to make sure I'm riding the right frame size, which I wasn't for the first bike that I owned. Um, and for my like home and parenting and what we use in our kitchen, like if I were to have somebody come through now and ask, why do you use this? And why do you use that? And where are your paper towels? And those sorts of things. I would sound like a crazy person. I am a crazy person. I realize that. However, that's because I'm five years down the home owner rabbit hole and I've enjoyed learning and following the implications of some of the things that I've encountered. And that's totally what you're describing about the bike. Like that's, I love it. Uh, There's this quote by uh, Greg Lamond that is, it never gets easier. You just get faster. And I love that in the world of cycling because there's this, you must clearly be enjoying it because there's not this point where all of a sudden it's just an easier experience for you. Like the joy may be increasing and I would hope so, but you're able to do more because of the time that you've put in. Yeah, it's huge. I want to name just a couple important things at this point. One is when I think of my own engage in a triathlon. I think the fact that I happen to be someone and there are kinds of people that want to listen to podcasts all the time and want to read all the time. And I think it's important to read or listen to audiobooks or whatever, even if it's something you don't love. But there are different people have different thresholds for this kind of thing. And so I get a huge kick out of tuning into a podcast, listening to Barbell Shrugged and learning maybe something about a little more about physiology of exercise. And I love that. So I do have kind of a regular exposure to books, articles. There are things I really don't like, actually. <laughs> articles, I mean academic articles, Sam. When I think of, you know, the one-off article online, I basically never trust those to teach me anything at all because it didn't take that having read trust me, I'm lying, confessions of a media manipulator. I happen to know how that thing is made and that the person who wrote it still has no idea about, it doesn't matter what it was, about the infl- the effect of overhydrating on heart health or the effect of whatever on foreign policy. I'm like, you're on to the next article. You don't know anything. This guy over here who wrote a book who has spent some significant time contemplating this topic and trying to make something valuable, they have gained my trust to the point where I'll read them, maybe not believe them. Well, there's some statistic, right, on if you've read a book on a topic that puts you in the mm, percentage of people that know about it. Do you remember this? I don't, I don't know that. I should. That sounds... No, it's, it's, it's like ridiculous. Feel good. If you have read a book on the topic that you're already in the top percentage of people that care about it. And this was something that was motivating us in triathlon training because it can just feel like you're stupid, you're obsessive, you're crazy. Why are you bothering to do this? But there were there were a couple of like clear thresholds of if you do research or read about it, you've already put yourself in some top percent. If you do lifestyle changes based on the things that you've read, well, now you're like in the top 10% of people that do this. And if you do it regularly, you go to the top five. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to 
win in the case of triathlon, but it applies to any category. Like if you are someone who is going to read and affect change, you're a part of a kind of elite group at that point. Right. Riffing on the theme again. It's not useful to know facts. It's not uh, because facts anyone can look up on their phone. It's useful to know stories. You learn stories through long engagement. And the other thing that I wanted to name is you can only do one thing at a time. And I look at someone like John Dale, who is a marketing and idea spreading and business management running wizard and go, man, how do you know so freaking much? And I want to subscribe to all the same podcasts he subscribes to and read everything off his shelf and have more business experience and go, well, you really can only do one thing. There's, if you want to learn about nutrition, I think the book, The China Study, is maybe the only one you ever need to read because it's the single largest nutrition study ever done and it has decades of longitudinal uh, evaluation and go, boom. But you can just do one thing and you and I starting on into triathlon, Joel Friel, like so many people, uh, we started with him because he's been a coach for forever and he happens to have written the Triathletes Training Bible and a great book on nutrition as well, The Paleo Diet for Athletes, which even if you don't want to go paleo, has like an incredible explanation of what kinds of fuel your body needs during what kinds of activity and I'm not paleo but I love the book and so just the thing of you can only do in any of these examples one thing someone walks into your kitchen and goes there's no plastic there's nothing that off gases there's new paper towels there's this you know different rack where your baby's glass bottles are drying like right, it's and too it just much goes, all at once and you don't do anything and well, right, and I just kind of look at it and go like, man, you must just be like kind of one of those people. <laughs> and I goes, no, no, no. You guys did that slowly over time and through marrying a woman who had been doing it for a longer time than you. And it builds up until you go, yeah, I mean, we happen to have cool looking wooden toys, but you got one every six months. <laughs> like, Right. There's the encouragement in that to do one thing is that it's actually going to have greater implications because it's going to affect the next thing. It's going to topple onto the next domino in ways that trying to do everything all at once isn't going to help you with. It's like the the jam example of the marketing. They did this test where there's, this, there's a couple of choices. People will choose one. If there's a whole shelf of choices, people will just walk away. They, like, they usually won't do anything. And that applies to every category. When I think of the empathy fatigue, I know that people get really disappointed because there's so many totally just causes to throw yourself behind and Facebook and the news are kind of telling you about them all the time, but that actually isn't helpful. And there's some great work out there on empathy fatigue, which I got interested in because I was experiencing it myself going, why do I feel guilty all the time? Why do I feel like I am not doing enough? Therefore I'm disengaging because I don't, like experiencing failure and exhaustion when I haven't done anything yet. Um, and I remember there was this nonprofit in Santa Barbara that named themselves These Numbers Have Faces because they knew, again, to that piece of story, like if it's just this many people are dying of this, this many people are affected with this, this many people are displaced, this many people need you to, and it's just, uh, uh, what are you talking about? Like, 
I am crushed under the information and it has no real implications. And they name themselves that because they're like, no, these are people. These people have stories. Stories are going to affect you so much more profoundly. And if you just commit to one, one thing, one cause, one, and, and probably something that's closer to home or more local, um, wherever that may be, that actually is going to have a greater chance that you're going to get involved in other things as well than trying to do all of them. Trying to be this person that is involved here and there and this Sierra Club and I give to these kids out in Mexico. And da, da, da. it's like, no, that's impossible. It's like the New Year's resolutions problem, which is apt because when this is airing, um, you have this list of, I want to do this differently and this differently and this differently and this differently. And it's this just monsoon of change. You're not going to do any of it. It's going to be too much all at once. And there's no grace. There's no sense of accomplishment because you're inevitably going to be failing at least a few of them. And then they bleeds into everything else. Yeah. So here's another example. (laughs) How did you learn, Sam, to run an online magazine and a hard copy magazine for young men? Um, I don't know that I have learned how to do that. <laughs> uh, how did I learn how to do that? Um, through really, really small steps and learning things almost the same way we learned the bike. Um, it was, let's just begin by trying to move forward. And so it was, what's the easiest way to create a website? Well, okay, these days there's, I don't know, half a dozen website creation portals that's um, there's Wix, which is constantly advertising to you on YouTube. There's Squarespace. There's blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there's, well, WordPress. I mean, jump in here. This was literally the first question was, we want to publish our writing, and there's these available things. There's Adobe Muse, which which lets you not know how to code, but put something online. And then there's WordPress, which is a massive percentage of the internet. And then there's Drupal and this other category of off-the-shelf uh, sort of website templates that have a really friendly back end. Right. And we just went, okay, well, if those are the options, how are they different and which one should we use? Yeah. Uh, Dan shares this example. People come to him and say like, I want to write a book and he'll ask them like, okay, well, so what are you reading and how much are you writing? And they'll be like, well, I'm not really reading and I haven't really written recently, but I want to write a book. And he's like, <laughs> What are you talking about? You're not doing the two things that are required for you to accomplish that task. And so for us, the the two things were, are you writing? Because you're going to be creating a, a literary magazine. And it was like, okay, well, that box is checked. Like we can, we're constantly doing that. That's just sort of coming out of our earballs all the time. Um, and the next thing was, how are you, are you looking at other things that you want to be emulating it? Do you like what they're doing? Do you like what this website's up to? And um, then we kind of began hitting our heads against all of those questions of like, well, this one is really simple and user-friendly and we can kind of get it running in the next 20 minutes, which is crazy. Whereas the ones that do the things we actually want to be doing require knowledge that will take us several years to create unless we want to hire somebody to build it on the back end. And, and we did, we built like templates and then we built a, like the f- used free trials to get, um, kind of alphas and beta versions up and see, and you sort of did like a couple of weeks of thinking about a name and trying this and trying that. And, oh, 
man, every like name and kind of men's ministry these days sounds the same. Like I bet you could come up with a list of five things that just the forge, uh, the shed, the the workshop, the, all of which were things we consider. Okay, so we're not above that. No, no totally. <laughs> it's just there's like a genre, and you kind of like reach your hand in there and get poked a little bit. So yeah, somehow we looked back down the rabbit hole and we realized like we had to use somebody else's help, and it was a lot like the bike back because we would experience things not working and need to change them. We would experience problems that we had no idea that we were gonna run into. And we'd have to figure out how that works. And much like having to tune your own bike or fix a flat tire. It was basically the same thing. It was something that we were choosing to live and choosing to affect change based on what we bumped our heads into. And I had a lot of friends back in college who loved the idea of doing a literary journal of some kind. But A, they could never get everybody to write. So they didn't actually have material to put together. B, they couldn't ever agree on leadership. And so there was always kind of this like round table feuding going on. And then C, if they ever did manage to get the material together, I think the fear of doing it wrong the first time. Um, and so that jump, you know, the thing that we did with uh, the conversation with Aaron McHugh of just going with it, just, just let it be a first draft. Yeah, Wookie said in... Our, our recent episode, Wiki Jones, when we asked him about learning to work on his motorcycle, he said the b- single best thing you can do is make friends with people who love motorcycles. That's true. Basically anything you want to learn. And I think one thing for running and sons was how do we rub shoulders with uh, people who are involved in these kinds of platform developing projects? How do we rub shoulders with as many of those people as possible? And it kind of became oh i've you know i've bumped into this guy who goes to our church and i'm going to ask him out for a coffee or a beer and that was how i learned that there was such a thing as a content strategy which helps us decide what kind of podcast we make cuz he was asking you know what podcast do you have coming down the t- the pipeline actually it was articles back then and i mentioned three and he was like two of those make sense why are you writing that third one and i went I don't know. I'm interested in it. I think people should care about it. And he's like, well, they should care, but they might not need to hear about it from you. And it went, oh my gosh, there's, there's a realm called strategy. And then it was, what books, what book should I read? You don't know. I'm going to Google best five strategy books and I'm going to read the first chapter of all of them on Google books and as much of the preview as I can. And the one that I like, I'm going to reserve at the bookstore. <laughs> I think something that we're big about here is that finding mentors even if it's a book even if it's a youtube channel even if it actually is an older grizzled person like uncle argyle who's going to teach you the way of the word and then the sword like you do need that piece um but i think if i could give myself advice in my younger self as i'm learning things so i'll give it to my future self as i learn things don't be intimidated by the people that have already been in it for a while because they're going to seem odd they've already experienced many of like the first several tiers of learning and its implications. And it's like, you ever go into a local kind of mom and pop grocery store that's kind of crunchy and the people in there, they're weird, man. But they're as weird as the people in the bike shop. They're as weird as the people at the climbing gym or the the welding shop in town. Like whatever it is you want to learn about these people that have been living it for a while, which might be you in your arena. Like <laughs> someone comes into my house and asks me about food. I'm going to be a weirdo. 
because I have tried walking out these invocations for a while and I would just give myself like the breathing room of like, don't be intimidated by that because you don't need to do all of them all at once. Like that you need to be okay with it. There are steps and then there are implications. And if there's joy, then it's going to flow naturally. But back to the piece of like, choose one thing. It is the new year. What is something that you want to dive into? And um, let your curiosity guide you because that's, that's part of your joy, part of your desire, part of your, man, I really want to learn how to build a canoe. I'm not going to like beat my head against the wall because I don't know every step and every problem I'm going to have all along the way. Though I wish I could just sort of download that at once, like Trinity from the Matrix. Like, I know there's a, there's a wonderful meandering path to be taken. Yeah. Another random piece. I keep saying, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Another. Yeah. Uh, stone in the wall of this conversation. Kenneth Burke, arguably the most influential 20th century rhetorician, has this brilliant insight and a key uh, distinguishing element of a brilliant insight is once it's been said, it seems really obvious. This is a digression, but Aristotle in his poetic says, you know, a complete dramatic event has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And everybody after that goes, of course, a story has a beginning, middle, and an end. And it goes, really? Because watch a movie which is written on a three-act structure with a beginning, middle, and an end. And you will see with a lot of different movies very quickly, lots of people don't grasp that. <laughs> you go, why are we still in the beginning? Stop with the exposition. Get me to the middle. Oh, and, and how excited people got when you start in the middle and then they take you back to the beginning and then you get to progress to the end. Like that's every formula these days. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah. So brilliant things seem obvious once they're said. Kenneth Burke said a brilliant thing about anyone who's trying to tell you a fact is actually telling you a story. And he called it a dramatistic pentad. And what it is, is a who, what, where, when, why. And everyone who is saying any piece of information to you has tacitly or not answered all those questions. And to kind of unpack, you go, hmm, someone says humans are made to eat meat every day. And you go, okay, let me just the who, what, where, when, why there is pretty interesting to begin unpacking. And uh, where do you, I just love the question, where are you getting that information exactly? Here's a good closing one because I'd say it's a relevant current one. And it's George MacDonald asking, how have you learned Christ? And it might terrify you, he says, to know that you have learned him wrong. And I'm going to answer my own question here and then let you jump in talking with a person recently out of the Bible and he asked like wow like he seemed to be familiar with this and, and I go oh this could look like I enrolled myself in seminary at age 12 but that is not real a lot of this familiarity is fairly recent and to go what 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 is the current process of learning the gospel slash the worldview of Jesus slash uh, the kingdom and go, well, the first way I learned was by being around people who understood and loved the practicality of the kingdom and the ability of Jesus to change your life. In this case, it happened to be family and community and just seeing the fact that lives could be fundamentally affected by Jesus. And it went, you know, the person with an experience has nothing to fear from the person with an argument. Richard Foster, when he's talking about prayer, goes, we know our prayers are working if things change. And even though that we are meant to be transformed, to become different in prayer, 
it's still true that when we look at what prayer is meant to do in the Bible, it's meant to co-determine the future with God. And so watching real effects, watching the fruit. And then the next stage was I wanted to win arguments. And I started getting around people who knew more of the Bible than me in church settings and would say something. And I would feel that they were wrong, but mostly not with a great motive. I would just want to win the argument and it would go, okay, to win this, I just need to know more. And so I need to go read this thing. And then there's this crazy antique artifact called the catechism can be understood as a bridge from the world into the kingdom, but it's like what's a a pathway of discipleship into that the church would classically employ to orient someone to what are the basic tenets of Christianity? How do we know that Jesus is the son of God? Like as he says he is, and how does he answer our innate human longings for God, morality, eternity and go, well, it's really awesome. And most even like churches uh, explicitly or not will have a catechistic function and some are better than others. But when we go like the gospel, what is it? How do you learn what the gospel is? And go, Paul calls it the power of God for salvation, meaning it's what it is in Jesus that actually lets us dwell with God have him live inside us and raises us to the right hand of the Father and go, okay, well, that begins with the nature of God and goes back to his design for creation and into the fall and into the covenant with Israel and go, it's the freaking story. And for me, it was becoming a part of a church that had this thing, we call it reorient, that just goes, let's just walk you through the story. Ransom Tart calls it the larger story. Start with, can you learn the major building blocks of your faith as revealed in the Bible and like walked up by the Holy Spirit and go, that was huge. And then, man, I'm a daily audio Bible subscriber, Ryan Harden's podcast, like among the single most helpful things in my life with God. It's just, I don't listen every day. I get behind, but then I get to binge listen, which is even more fun and go, yeah, I just listen to the Bible a lot, everybody. And have begun this process of learning how all the different pieces relate to one another and like how constantly useful it is. It's beautiful because it is the same formula as everything else. Like A, this story matters so much. And B, unless it has direct implications for your life, it's not really going to matter. It's just going to be a series of facts and things that you feel guilty about. Hopefully there's been something in here for you that you kind of go, okay, like choose one thing or follow the joy, let curiosity just take you down and not be intimidated by people that know a ton. Um, But I mean, it's the new year, so choose something. 